Foundations 15, this 15th foundation. It's God's will and the abundant life. And, and so we, we talked about last week, we talked about God's will and God's plan, the difference there. And uh, just really quickly, talking about God's will, God has a will that is for, it's the same for all of us. Number one is for salvation. Number two is sanctification. Number three is that we surrender our lives to him. Uh, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least that we can do is live our lives for him. So salvation, sanctification, to surrender our life to him, to serve him, to live for him, to, to, to quit living my life for me. The joy in life is when we quit trying to live it for me. We quit trying to do it based on my wisdom and what I think is right because I'm the quickest one to mess it up, amen. It's when we surrender to the Word of God and what God says, what He has given us. When we surrender to that, and we live our lives based on that, that's when we have great joy in our life. And then it leads to service. When we really surrender our lives, you know what? God starts changing our want-tos. And we, we go from, you know, how many of you can relate to this? I used to want to go do these things. Now I want to, you know, I want to be in church. I want to serve in church. I used to want to do all these things for me. I used to have all these desires. I, you know, I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to have a big house. I want to have tennis courts behind my house and a swimming pool and all these things. And while those might be nice, they just strike me as a headache at this point in my life. I don't have time for that. People say, well, you know, I went and played golf for a few days. And it was fun. It was fun. It was okay. I don't want to do that every week. I don't have the time to spend to go spend five hours playing golf. There's things I'd rather do for the Lord. I'd rather be focused on that, focused on my family, those things. So it, it, God changes our want-tos. And so it, it, that's when it comes to, you know, people go avoiding wanting to serve in church. When we really surrender to the Lord, we want to do for him. We want to find a place to serve. We want to find a place to be impactful for the kingdom of God. So those are things, those are God's will. Those things are his will for all of us. You want to go, preacher, what's God's will for my life? Well, there it is right there. Your salvation, your sanctification, your surrender, and your service to him. And that's a full life if we do those things. But the, the question tends to go, though, you know, what's God's will for my life? Well, that is God's will for your life. Well, what, what people are really asking is, what's God's plan, specific, unique plan for my life? And you know what? He has a plan for each of us. And, we're, and that's what we're looking at is how do we find that out? But it all starts with, with, with obedience to God's word and, and, and doing what he would have us to do. We look at, um, I talked last week about, you know, spiritual birth and growth. You know, we talked about the physical birth and, and growth and then the spiritual birth, how they relate. You know, when you first get saved, you're not ready to be a pastor. You're not ready to teach Sunday school as a new, new believer. It takes time. You have to grow. You got to learn to crawl before you walk. You walk before you run. And so it, it's growth in our lives. And, you know, it, it, there was a, what was it, a time to be born. There's a time for growth. There's a time to die. And when we talk about that spiritually, it's dying to self. When we come to that place where we die to self, and, man, when we die to self, that's when then it's time for God. God can use us then. Um, you know what we need to be? We need to be a bunch of crackpots. You go, what? Here's what we need to be. We, we, we really, you're no good to the Lord until you're broken. You know, we, we think we want a pot that's, you know, it'll hold water. Well, you know what? God wants cracked pots. When we, got, when we have been broken, when we have been broken and, and, and we get to that place where it's not about us anymore, that's when the Lord can use us in, in great and mighty ways. And so when we learn to die to self, 
That's when we can live. That's when we really begin to live as a believer. And so that's what this is about. And so we're looking at that, and then the question came up there under number one at E, you know, what is God's will for my life? Well, there's the misconception. There's the problem right there is that we want to put the my life, and the my is in capital M-Y, my life. And that's kind of how we look at this as though, you know, this is the, it's like I think I said this last week. You know, if you're the star of the, of the book, if it's all about you, you're reading the book wrong. The book ain't about you. While he, he did this for us, he wants to win us to him. He, he died to save us and, and, and then to, to sanctify us. And he, wants to, he wants to work in our lives and all this stuff's going on. That's his plan for us. But this is his story. The Bible, the story is him. He is the star. Christ is the star of this from cover to cover. It's about God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God, the triune God, and what he has done to redeem us. Amen? It's all about him. It's not about us. And so we, we get this idea of, you know, my life. No, it's his life. He died for us. He, he has paid the price. He, we've been bought at a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus, the innocent son of God who never, ever sinned. And yet he went to the cross for our sin. I mean, think about that. Think about your sin. You want, you want something to think about for a while? Go home and tomorrow or tonight or sometime when you got some time. Sit there, leave the TV off, put your phone away, and just sit there and meditate and think about your sin. Not somebody else's sin. You just think about your sin. And then think about the fact that Christ died for your sin. Every sin you've ever committed. Every sin you'll ever commit. He died for you. And if it was just for you. He would have done it. He died for the whole world. He took the sin of the world upon himself. Became our sin. Man you get a little cold hearted. Think about that. Meditate on what Christ did. See, it's not our life, and that's where we make mistakes. So now we come to number two. Number two here, discovering God's plan. So we, we've talked about the will. The will is that it's the same for everybody. Now we're going to look at discovering God's plan. So A there, when we do God's will, okay, that's what we talked about, salvation, sanctification, surrender, and service. When we do God's will, we will discover God's specific plan for our life. So how does that work, preacher? Well, let's look at the next thing. It says, once we are surrendered to God's will. Now, that's the key to this whole thing. If you're not surrendered to God's will, forget that he's, that he's moving. You know, I, I'm not going to name names because you never know who's watching, okay? But there was, there was somebody in my life who at one time, marriage was just on the rocks. I mean, it was terrible. But God has a plan. He's, God's going to use us in ministry to help marriages. Really? Oh, dumpster fire. That marriage is a dumpster fire. And you think God's using, going to use you, going to put you in ministry when you guys are throwing stuff through the walls and cussing each other out. And God's going to put you in ministry. That's not how that works, people. So when you've got sin and you're living in sin, and you're living rebellious to the Word of God, don't think God's blessing your life. Don't deceive yourself in going, well, this is what God wants for me right here. I'm going to do what I want to do, but God's going to say it's okay because, because you, know, you know, we're good at that, right? 
What was it, the lawyer that's trying to, trying to justify himself? See, that's what we do. That's what we do. We, we try to justify our sin. We try to justify doing what we want to do. It goes back to when we are surrendered to God's will. Salvation, sanctification. That's when we live our lives for Him and we draw close to Him and we submit to Him so that we, man, we are just, we're giving it to Him and we're living our lives under His authority, not my want-tos. So once we've surrendered to God's will, we recognize that God has always been at work in the specific plan for our life and great joy comes to us as we realize that He is leading in our life and we can have confidence in the direction of our life. Look, when we surrender our lives to him, when we really, when we just say, Lord, I, I can remember telling the Lord when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, before I went into ministry, I felt the Lord was calling me to ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I don't know if that meant at that time pastor or missionary or what. I just said, Lord, I, I don't want to do what I'm doing. And I loved my job. I worked with FedEx. I had a good job. I loved my job. I didn't get up and hate going to work in the morning. I enjoy going to work. I worked long hours, but man, it was fulfilling work. But I got off and... And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I just kept going, I don't, I, this is not what I want to do. I want to serve God. And I came down to Georgia, and I worked at a, in a Christian camp for a week. Gave my, my a week of vacation to work at that Christian camp. Got down there, and the first three days I was there, the, the camp pastor said, you're going to preach. You're going to preach in the morning chapel. I went, what? I never preached. So I got these seven- to nine-year-old girls, I think it was. I was scared to death. I thought they are going to eat me. You know, I mean, that's what you do. You look out going, oh, man, they're going to devour me. They're a bunch of cannibals and scared to death. And I spent that week there, just surrendered to do what God wanted me to do, and I left there in tears. I left going back to Charlotte, North Carolina, going, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what it is, Lord. I don't know what you want me to do, but you are stirring my heart to serve you, and I want to do that. I ended up leaving Charlotte. I didn't have a job. Gina was pregnant. We didn't have a place to live. People asked me if I was crazy. I thought I might be. I wasn't sure. But I really believe that the Lord had told me, you're going to jump out without a net this time. Because I had jumped out before with, with a net. He said, all right. You're going to jump without a net. And you're going to watch me work. And, and he did. And it was when I surrendered that. And I remember in Charlotte, I said, Lord, just slam me on the floor and stick a post-it note on my forehead. Whatever it says, I'll do. I'll do it, Lord. Just show me. And uh, he said, you walk by faith. And it's one step at a time. And I'm not going to show you my whole plan. I'll show you, I'm going to show you the next step. And when you're obedient there, I'll show you the next step. And that's the way the Lord works. But as we surrender to his will in our life, we do those things. It's amazing because as God begins to open then and guide us in life, it's amazing. So it's at this point that the Lord begins to open to us doors of opportunity for service and ministry and will begin to reveal to us our life's purpose. Um, always, there's so many examples I could use, but I think of Chris Sheets. How many of y'all know Chris? Raise your hand if you know Chris. Okay. Not as many know, you, know him as I thought would, but, and here's why. Because Chris is a very, he's, a, he's quiet He's, you'll know it when I describe him, you'll know exactly who he is. You'll, you'll know. But, but, but to say, you go, I don't know who that is because Chris doesn't have this, the spotlight. Chris doesn't want the spotlight. Chris just wants to serve. And when I, when, I, when I first got here, I've watched in the three and a half years I've been here as Chris just grew in his faith. And this, where he got to the point where he just surrendered to the Lord. And then you see the Lord working and guiding him. And then it's like, hey, Chris, we need you to 
won't you step in and do this? And he's like, okay. He said, man, I've been praying about an opportunity to serve somewhere. And, and man, that's perfect. I was actually thinking about it. So it's amazing to see that. So, now, y'all, I mean, raise your hand right now if you're going, well, what does he look like, preacher? I want to know. You're thinking that, right? Because I said, I, so I'm not going to tell you. No, Chris looks like he could play in ZZ Top. All right? So you all know who I'm talking about now. Great heart for the Lord. And just he just wants to serve. And I love that. And, uh, but just seeing how God's working in his life, okay? So see there, as we see discovering our, God's plan, there are five things that we cannot stop from happening if, if we live life for ourselves and not for God. Number one, we will always be an immature Christian and we'll be ineffective in our work of the Lord. If we're not, if we're going to live for self, if we put ourselves first, we don't put God first, you're going to always be immature. You're going to always be immature as a Christian. You, you will not have that growth of maturity until you surrender to him and you put him first. Amen? Number two, we waste our natural, uh, natural, our natural resources. I waste my, my iron and my, and my oil. And, no, we waste our material resources. So think about the money we spend. All right, let's take golf. All right, so I think about golf I played in Indiana at least once a week. And my pastor, when the weather was good, Monday morning my pastor would come to my office door. About 10.30, he'd come in, and he'd come to the door, and he'd go. Yeah. And I'd be, preacher, I got to work. I got a job. Some of us actually work around here. And he, he'd go, oh, you, you'll catch up. You'll, you'll be all right. So I, but I think back on how much golf I played in Indiana and the money I spent playing golf and the time I spent playing golf. It's a waste. This sounds terrible because that... that I'm trying to make the point of when we don't put ourselves first. I don't think I was putting myself first there, but I did waste a lot of money. But there's a lot of things that we do that we do. We, 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 are, we put ourselves first. And you think about the money we waste when we're not living for the Lord. And I, I could even say, what if I'd taken that money and contributed that more to missions? You know, that money's gone. That round of golf... I can just tell you that was money spent for me to go out and get mad and frustrated and want to, want to throw a club and things like that. That's what it went for. What if I'd given it to missions? What if I'd have given it into the work of the Lord and been invested in eternity? Number three, when we live our lives for ourselves and not, uh, and not into the, into God, we will lead our family astray. Amen. And here's the deal. When we're not submitted to him, we're going to live our lives according to our own counsel. We're going to live our lives under to our own, un, uh, according to our own wisdom. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to be doing things that we really should not be doing. And when we do this, when we're not living totally submitted to the Lord, we'll lead our family astray. I can't tell you how many people I counsel with who have all kinds of problems with their adult children because when they themselves were, were raising their children, they weren't following the Lord. And they modeled everything wrong in their lives for their kids. And then we get grown and we want our kids. Now we've gotten right with God and we want our kids to be right with God. But we miss that opportunity in some ways. So we're trying to make up for that. We're trying to lead them. Uh, some of you in here would probably could testify to that testimony right there. You'd go, yeah, I get that. We can lead our families astray when we're not putting the Lord first. You are the beginning of the spiritual heritage for your children and grandchildren. So, man, your grandchildren, if you, maybe you messed up as a, as a parent and, and now you got grandkids, now's your time to it's, redeem the time. Use that time. Use that time to pour into your grandkids. You got more time now, maybe. 
Pour into your grandkids. Make a difference in their life. Number four, we will confuse the lost world and cause them to think that Christianity is a shallow thing. Folks, we should be different. Amen? Amen. If, if we as believers live our lives submitted to the Lord, if we really begin to grow, it's different. We're, we're, they should be like, man, them are weird people. They, that's what the Bible says. You beat me to it. That we're peculiar people. I mean, Brent's pretty peculiar. So, I mean, he must be doing something right, all right? So we should be peculiar people. We should be, when people look at us, they go, man, they're just different. They don't do this and they don't do that. And I understand people go, well, Christianity ain't about the do's and the don'ts. I'm sorry, have you not read the Bible I've read? God's pretty clear that there are things that we are to do and things we're not to do. And there's a lot of things that there might be some gray area that we really love our liberty. We love our liberty. Well, I've got liberty to do that. Well, the Bible also says you ought to put your liberty aside if it affects your brother. Or if it affects somebody that's lost, especially if it affects somebody that's lost. Because if I don't live a life totally submitted to the Lord, I tell my neighbor, hey, I'm a Christian. And then Sunday morning they go, man, his truck was there in the yard again Sunday morning. Some Christian... I live as spiritual as he does, and I never go to church. Out there screaming at his kids again, throwing, cussing at that dog. Hates that, that dog. He's screaming and hollering, throwing a fit, whatever it might be. When we don't live a life that's different, Lord, we confuse the, the lost world around us. They're looking at us going, oh, man, I thought they were Christians. You go out and survey the lost world. You go out here and survey them and... and, and what would be the top five things that they would say are sins? Come on, what do you think? No, just of sins. If you just went out here and you're surveying the lost world, because here's what I've heard people say. Here's what I've heard them say. I talk to them about coming to church. Trying to find, oh, man, I, I, I got to stop doing this, this, this. They got a laundry list of things they need to change. So which tells me the lost world's got an idea of what sin is. So give me, give me the top five things you think the lost world would name that i got to stop that before I can come to church. Tell me what you think it would be. So gossip, gossip, backbiting, okay, that'd be one. Drinking. The lost world understands it better than the church does, Brent. We embrace it. We, wait, look, hold on, time out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm over here yet. I'm over here. Gossip, backbiting. Yeah, so I'm going to run down that person. I'm a Christian. They know I'm a Christian. I'm running down somebody. Boy, I'm just talking them down. Well, ain't that your husband? Well, uh, Scripture's very clear on that, and the lost world understands that. Drinking. Uh, hold on. Time out. Time out. I'm trying to get on this. We embrace it. We have come to embrace alcohol in the church. We, we, I mean, we go above and beyond to make it okay. I'm sorry. I want you to bring me a Bible study that really you can strongly defend that alcohol is okay for the Christian. Because I've studied it out. I've preached about it. I'm not going to tell you, I can't make a dogmatic stand that the scripture says the Christian cannot drink. But I can make a strong argument based on all the counsel of God's word that the Christian should not drink. 
Oh, me, preacher. Now you need to move on, preacher. We're on, you're in the wrong area now. Stay in your lane, preacher. This is my lane. I'm not here to make you love me. I'm here to tell you truth to help you in your walk with God. Amen? Because if you want somebody to tell you, uh, you know, what I say, if God loves all the things you love, you've created an idol. Your God is you. Hold the mirror up. Look at my God. Isn't he pretty? He's so awesome. If your God is just endorses everything that you think is right and he's down on everything you think is wrong, but that's, Brent, you're right. The lost world would say that. I've worked with so many people, and they, if they're going to name five sins, drinking is going to be one of them. Drinking, gossip, I wouldn't normally put that in there, but I think you're right. Now, that's two. Now, now, where's the third one? I'm sorry. Immorality, meaning sexual immorality. Fornication, let's just throw it out there because we don't like to use that word. We like to use the word, they're having an affair. Oh, an affair? What are they going and throwing darts at balloons and riding the Ferris wheel? What are they doing? I mean, that sounds joyous, affair. They're committing adultery. Let's call it what it is. So if you're in any sexual relationship other than with your wife or your husband, it is sin. And that's not you calling the man men, the man you call husband. That's not what the scriptures are talking about. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's plan. That's the plan. I understand things happen, but God's plan has never been for divorce. Never has that been God's plan. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's where, and God has not denied us. People go, oh, well, the Lord, you know, he's funny, Daddy. He doesn't want us to enjoy. God's all about, it's okay to have sex. He made a place, a proper place for sex, for the fulfillment from sex. Those are such awkward things for to be talking about in here. God's, it's in Scripture, though. God made it. It's there. And, it's, and, and so... But anything outside that is sexual immorality. So the guy that's on the work, you know, I'm working construction, a guy, that's what he'd say. Well, you got to quit running around on your wife. That'd be one of them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That, that ain't what you got to do before you come to church, but you, you shouldn't be doing that. That's three. Give me a couple more. Thomas, what'd you say? Adultery? Oh, idolatry. Yeah. Idolatry. Hey, I had a guy get me. Let me tell you this. I had a guy get me in Indiana. He was new, kind of new to the church. He came to my office. If you've been in my office, you realize I'm, I'm an idolater. I've got some Georgia helmets in there. I got, I got some Georgia. I had more Georgia stuff back then. I had a lot of University of Georgia things on my, on my bookshelf. So this guy comes in, and he's, like I say, he's new to the church. He hadn't even joined the church yet. And he's sitting there. And I had to step out for something. I come back in, and he, when I walked in, he stood up, and he said, this ain't going to work. He said, this ain't going to work. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm looking around this office. I see all this idolatry in here. How am I supposed to? And I went. My, my first thought was, I'm not an idolater. But I looked around my office and went, how can I argue with him? I mean, I can't say anything. So, um, and then he started laughing. I'm like, dude, man, that he got me. He got me good. So there's not near as much Georgia stuff in my office now. Just a Herschel Walker jersey. That's not idolatry, okay? That's it's childhood hero. That's not, an, that's not idolatry. Um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So idolatry. What else? I heard another over here. 
What's that? Murder? Yeah, and I, I hope that's not as prevalent, but you know what? It's becoming, very, it's becoming a lot more prevalent. You go down I-4, I'm just going to tell you, folks, be careful. If you're a little hothead in the roads, be careful, because all you got to do is look wrong at somebody today, and they'll start shooting. You just got to be careful. So unless you have a bigger gun, just stay calm. Stay calm. Was there some, Stealing? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a big one. Stealing. Yes, ma'am. I think hypocrisy is, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think hypocrisy, when you're talking in that, if you're talking about the lost world and how they look at us, they, that would be one of the biggest barriers, the excuses. It may not be legit, but it's one of the biggest excuses that they use. And that goes back to my truck is sitting in the front driveway on Sunday morning. That's it's my neighbor. It's my neighbor when we lived in Georgia. When they moved in, we had been in, we were the second house in our neighborhood. It was just all woods. And they built all around us, and this lot next to us stayed vacant forever. And then they cleared the lot, and we we're like, oh, and the, I mean, it's like 20 feet from our house is where they're building. I mean, it's right on top of us, and it sits uphill. So it's like they're looking down on us all the time. But they build the house, and then they're getting ready to sell it. And I think, oh, that's cool. We're going to have neighbors. Well, when they came in, they were in two Chevy S10 pickup trucks. They were piled high like the clampets. The only thing they didn't have was granny in a chair on top. They had the rebel flags waving. I mean, it was the whole deal. And at one point, there were 12 people living in the house, 12 family members living in the house. And I'll never forget the day the guy was out there with his Budweiser, and he's on the front porch with his Budweiser. He says, hey, hey, I'm having a Bible study tonight. Won't you come join me? Now, I'd probably go join him now. I probably would. I probably had a different attitude. I went in there and said, hey, I, I tried to correct some things. But I thought, that's the last place in the world I'm going to go is to a Bible study with the guy who's drinking a Budweiser and he's cussing his kids out in the backyard every night. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You know, we tell people, that's a deacon. How many deacon stories have you heard? Deacon in the church. And, man, out in the world, people go, man, he goes to church? He's a deacon? Are you kidding? What a hypocrite. And that's the biggest excuse people would use. So, yeah, that's a huge thing. So all that is it's huge. If we do not get to this place where we're living for him and not for us, we're going to confuse the lost world around us that we're trying to win to him. Amen? You with me? How many of y'all have I ticked off now, okay? Anybody ticked off? Everybody, if you tick, no, okay, good, we're good. Number five. We will miss out on the abundant blessings that God has in store for us. We can live our lives for ourselves. Jeff Bezos. Y'all know Bezos, right? Everybody knows Jeff Bezos, one of the richest guys in the world. I don't know. I don't know. He may be the richest guy. It's amazing these guys that just made so much money when mom and pop couldn't open during the COVID shutdown. But big box stores and Amazon got to, and they just got to keep that. Man, Bezos like doubled his wealth in, in just no time. But this is a guy who's leading in giving money to research, trying to live forever. He wants to, yeah. He wants to live forever. Well, he's got all that money. He's like, I can't spend it in one lifetime. I, there's too much. So, you know, you can see guys that have that kind of money who, who you would think, oh, yeah, they want to live a long time. Because, look, if somebody doesn't know the Lord, this is heaven. On, this is it. This is, this is their heaven. 
This is all they got. This is all they got to look forward to. And a lot of them, they understand that. They've chosen to reject Christ. They want nothing to do with that. They want to live their way. But, but he wants to live forever. He wants to, he wants to you know, just, I want to just live on. And man, the kind of money they got. And at least they're not doing what the, who was the ball player? Ted Williams had him freeze his head or something. Come on, man. Uh, when we live for the Lord, there's great blessing. Great blessing in that. And I hope every one of you in here would go, yes, my life when I'm living for God, when I'm walking with Him in right fellowship with Him, there's no place better. And if you're a believer and you're not walking in right fellowship, there's no place more miserable. For a believer to be out of right fellowship with God, it is miserable because you are His child. The Holy Spirit of God is indwelling you. Now, I'll say this. If you're a professing Christian, you're living in a life of sin and all that, and there's no conviction, you're not miserable, you're probably not a child of God. You, you're going to tell me you don't have conviction of the Holy Spirit? Then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of sin in your life. So you need to check that. And I'm going to tell you, you as a believer, if you're out of right fellowship with God, you're more miserable than the lost person. Because that, that, they, don't, they don't even know yet. And I'll guarantee you, a person that doesn't know the Lord is living in misery. But a believer who is out of fellowship with God is living in open sin, it's miserable. Miserable place to be. I really thought I would get through this. What'd you say? You can? <laughs> oh, you can believe I didn't get through this. I got it. All right. Um, I, I, I enjoy teaching too much, so I, I don't, I ain't going to rush through it. So, all right, there we go. All right. I really did. I mean, I'm like, I got a page and a half. I sure like get through a page and a half. All right, so let's, let's, uh, let's go on for just a couple more minutes, and then we'll, we'll stop and have our prayer time. Um, the matter of faith. So we're talking about faith. There's, there's, a formula, there's a formula here. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's a wrong formula and a right formula. And our world today, I'm going to tell you, our American Christianity is in terrible shape because the, the wrong formula, the first one right here, is where our American Christianity is today. It's all driven by feelings. It's all about feelings. And, and the facts might follow in there, maybe. If it fits my feelings, maybe it'll fall in line. But then faith comes down the, the road. That's a wrong formula for, for faith. The right formula is this, is fact. What is our faith based on? It's based on the Word of God and, and, and the facts that we have from the Word of God. So we have, we have the facts of our faith right here. Everything God, God's Word. They want to go, you know, I heard somebody make a comment about, about them Baptists. They said, well, you Baptists, y'all worship the Bible. Well, it may look that way to people outside. Uh, we don't worship the Bible, but we, it, we honor it because it is our authority for life. Amen. If it's not, then what are you living by? What are you living by? If this isn't your authority, this is our authority for life. Everything. Everything. And don't tell me you live by the Word of God if you're condoning sin. 
If you're endorsing it, if you're speaking to sin, if you're speaking and encouraging sin, don't tell me you're living by the Word of God. Because the Word of God is very clear, and, and we should live by what God's Word says. Amen? So it's fact, the Word of God, which then drives our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we have the Word of God, then we have faith, and our feelings follow in behind that. So when, we, when, we, when we're submitted to the Lord, when we, when we come to that place of we've come to faith and we're, we're walking by faith, then the feelings follow that. The joy, the confidence, the expectation that comes from knowing we, we have obeyed God's will and we'll be blessed in our life. There's great joy that comes from that. So B then is we, we, the, the fear to overcome. So there's a formula for faith, A, and then there's fear to overcome and B there. So there's an element of fear that must be overcome if we are to experience the abundant life in Christ. So there's some things here that, that people fear. And this would be really, I mean, I think even mature Christians may struggle with this at times. But it, but it really comes to that place when we're really submitted to God. We're not going to struggle with this. But let's look at them. So many have the fear of, you know, what will I miss? What will I miss? And that's, that's because of divided affections. That's because of love for the world. Well, what am I going to be? If I commit to that, you know, I'm not going to get home in time to see the Sunday afternoon kickoff. You know, if I, if I commit to, to prayer band on Monday night, I'm going to miss Monday night football. Or, you know, I'm going to miss the basketball game. Or I'm not going to be able, you know, it, it's what am I going to miss? Because my love is divided between serving God and, and, and loving this world, the love we have for the world. But then there's others that, that have the fear of what will I be asked to do? And that's a fear of responsibility. Well, I, I, don't, I don't really want to, I mean, what, what, what does that mean? What would I, what would I be asking? What, what's my responsibility? What's my level? I really don't want any responsibility at this point. I don't want to be committed to this, okay? So there's a fear of this responsibility that a lot have. What am I going to be asked to do? Number three, uh, there's, many have a fear of what will it cost me? And that's a level of, of commitment. You know, what is it going to cost me in money? You know, I mean, think about it. Somebody calls you or they knock on your door, they're cold calling or whatever, and they're trying to sell you something. You're always like, all right, what's the catch? What's this thing going to cost me? What is, what is it going to take me? So we, we're, we're concerned with that. You know, what is it going to cost in time? What is it going to cost in money? What is it going to cost in my energy? You know, what, my talents, whatever. Um, so what will it cost me? So we must remember that God will give us the desire to do what he wills for us to do when we're walking in the right relationship. He will give us the desires to do what he wills us to do when we're walking in that right relationship with him. So it goes back to that, him changing our want-tos. I used to want to do this, now I want to do this for God. I used to want to do this for me, now I want to do that for God. I used to be all worried about my power and position in my company, now I'm all worried about how can I serve somebody else. God changes our want-tos. When we're in right relationship with him, if we're not in right relationship with him, you know what, we can't, we, 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 he's... We're not going to hear him. He's not going to. He's not going to be leading me and putting me right here. This is, you know, it, it, we we mess these things up when we're not in right fellowship with him. We're not in the right relationship with him. So the remedy for all fear is to understand that God's love is perfect. First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear cast or perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Uh, so we talked about fear Sunday. We got a little bit of this right here. There shouldn't be a fear in our lives as believers. We shouldn't fear. You know, we, we, we can be smart about things, but there shouldn't be fear. I, I, I don't, I, listen, I don't fear COVID. 
And, and we've, you know, we've, we've got some people, I'll talk about that in a moment, we've got some people in our church now that have COVID. A few that have, uh, they're about, none of them that have been here, nobody's been in a service since they were exposed. So there's nothing, um, there's no concern of spreading. It, you, you've noticed we're not spreading out in here, right? You notice that? Everybody notice that? So I'll send an email out. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Because what I know is there may be a few people that aren't coming to church because we've been distancing. And, and I think, here's what I think. I think somebody could come in in the back back there and go, man, I don't want to get to church, and then i got to go across the way to watch church. I want to be in the sanctuary. So I think that might be why some folks aren't coming. But the fact is there's some people that ain't coming. They ain't going to come. And I'm not going to continue to accommodate in here folks that, ain't, that, that aren't coming anyway. And I'm not saying that to be ugly. That's not ugly. It's just a fact. Some folks are not coming back. I don't know when they're going to come back. I don't know what it's going to take to get them back. But I'm just telling you, I'm not going to live in fear. What would y'all do if I said, hey, I ain't coming back to church till this COVID thing's over? What would, I mean, what would you Y'all be looking for another preacher. But why is it okay for the congregation to have that attitude? Folks, we got to get over the fear of this thing and live life. Don't be stupid. Don't go lick doorknobs. Brent, don't be licking doorknobs. But be smart. I mean, you can come in here. Uh, let's see. I was looking for a mask. Nobody's got a mask on. Some folks are still wearing a mask. That's fine. Nobody's here going to go, what are you wearing a mask for? I saw the mask. You had a mask a while ago. And I have no problem. That's fantastic. If, that, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you come in and you go, man, I don't want to sit right next to somebody, I promise you, you put a mask on and you go sit in a corner somewhere, folks are going to go, eh, they probably don't want me going over getting in their face. Right? So be smart. But let's not live in fear. This thing ain't going away. It ain't. It's here to stay. And it's going to get milked for everything they can milk it for. It's a real thing. COVID's real. But there's a lot of other stuff going on with it too. Don't be in fear. All right? Okay. Claire Jackson. She texted me today. She's doing so well. Doing so well. She actually says she thinks she'll be home by the end of next week. I think that's what she told me. I have to go back and look. Uh, she's doing good. She's, she's getting up. She's walking. She's walking with a cane now. She said, my legs feel like they're 100 pounds each. And I said, I wanted to, I wanted to sing that song from uh, Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you watched that? All right. So I wanted to tell her, I wanted to tell her that. But that doesn't translate through a text. So I just, just keep walking, just keep walking. I said, every step is going to get better. You're going to get stronger. But she's doing great and uh, praying that she'll be able to get back here soon. She's excited to come back to church. She said, I know it's going to be hard, but she's excited about coming back to church. So keep praying for her. Mike Dolan and Kelly's son, Joshua Kelly and his family that had COVID. Uh, Joshua and his girlfriend are feeling better. Their five-year-old is now sick with what they think is mononucleosis as they... Wait for the test confirmation, but 